All right, Jose Nino here, giving y'all another episode of El Nino Speaks. Today, I'm joined by someone who Wired Magazine has previously labeled as one of the most dangerous people on the internet, quote unquote. And that is Cody Wilson, the founder and director of Defense Distributed. How are you today, Cody? Hey, Mr. Jose. I'm good. Thank you, man. Yeah, no problem. Well, let's get down to business. Just to start off, what is Defense Distributed and its overall mission? Over the years, I've re-described this as like a defense contractor, but instead of a private defense contractor for the state, we're a public defense contractor for the people. And that may sound grandiose, but that really covers it. We organized to develop the first 3D printable guns and to distribute the files, kind of like WikiLeaks would and with open source licenses. And we invented, I suppose you could say, the culture and the methods, if not the actual technology for doing 3D printed guns online. Uh, And then since then, we've invented a number of and contributed to a number of technologies that help people make guns and gun parts with software and hardware. That's quickest I could probably say it. Great stuff. So yeah, like looking at this, like from like a big picture type of view, people don't just like start an org that develops and publishes open source gun designs for 3D printing and just like digital manufacturing on a whim. There's definitely like some philosophical underpinnings behind such endeavors. What thinkers have played a major role in shaping your philosophical outlook? You know, I mean, I am indebted as like an American and a Western to just the standard liberal canon, no doubt. But like any spoiled millennial, I'm kind of, uh, I I went to public school, I went to college. And so I was exposed unnecessarily to a lot of Marxists. And so I kind of wandered my way to the libertarians of the 20th century, you know, like Mises, Rothbard. I wandered my way kind of backwards through Habermas and it's like, who's really important now? I, I couldn't quite tell you. But these days, I, I read Jean Baudrillard kind of more than anyone else, because he's a cultural critic, more than anything in particular. And his theories help diagnose the kind of absurd, and then like schizophrenic phenomena we see today of like a state that is overwhelmingly powerful, but at the same time, we can sense like inherently fragile and about to crack up at any moment in any particular issue. And so I kind of stay in this cultural domain, which is more like French. But I would say I'm, I'm, in, I'm just indebted to the standard liberal canon, the standard libertarian and, and Marxist thinkers in terms of economics. Prior to founding Defense Distributed, were you really involved in the gun scene or just like gun politics in general? Uh, no, I wasn't. And, you know, you can maybe still argue that I'm not involved in the gun scene. It's, it's hard to know, but uh, maybe that's not a good argument anymore, right? But, you know, what we saw, when I say we, in the very beginning of DD, it's me and my co-founder, Benjamin Denio, and we were just amateur philosophers, I guess you could say, shit posters online. And so I was in law school and, uh, you know, he was like unemployed and, and just reading a lot online. And we just watched with like awe uh, what Julian Assange was doing with WikiLeaks and how he was overcoming the payments blockade. Uh, and he was using Bitcoin, incidentally. And it seemed like that combination of activity, how like, you know, one guy, one organization using the internet and then um, novel payments technologies was just really throwing the world. And we asked ourselves, okay, you know, how can we do this, but with guns? And that was really, you know, that was it. That was everything. So we discovered 3D printing and everything else after that philosophical idea 
And then ever since then, it's it's been a continual education in guns and gun parts, which I don't have like a particular love for. I mean, I, I admire them, but you know, I wasn't an engineer. I wasn't really a gun person. I was I was always first, uh, I guess, a philosopher. So would you say you were like more like broadly like politically aware? more like on like philosophical terms as opposed to just like specific gun politics prior to founding DD? Uh, yeah, that's true. But I don't want to overstate it. I mean, I was I was also keenly aware of American gun politics because I consider the insurrectionist vein of Second Amendment philosophy to be like the most interesting part maybe of American individualism or you know, American radical republicanism. I mean, that's my favorite stuff. Thomas Jefferson, watering the tree of liberty, all that stuff that really appeals to a kind of a man my age growing up at the time that I did. And, you know, I grew up in the South. And so a, a lot of my thinking was conditioned on the absolute right to keep and bear arms. And so I, I was very partial to that thought and, and had been exposed to quite a bit of it at an early age. So it's that infusion and then discovering like, I guess the, the internet technology end of the horseshoe at the end of that discussion, then realizing like, oh, these Silicon Valley types will never apply, you know, this radical potential to like American gun politics. So like that lane is completely open for me to do that. Mm, very interesting stuff. So when you first set up Defense Distributed and getting publicity for it, what was the overall response that your family and friends circle had about it? I don't know that my family really believed me when I said I was going to set out to do this because how could you, I, I would put it in these terms. I'm like, oh, I'm going to 3D print a gun and I'm going to like put it on the internet. I don't think people really understood what that meant, but like, you know, as soon as we had articulated it, we, we thought we knew what it meant. It meant like WikiLeaks for guns. It was going to be like a problem all over the world. And it was going to inspire other people to do the same thing. We literally, as soon as we came up with it, we were like, wow, this is going to really screw shit up, you know, in a, in a fun way, a good way. So I, I mean, maybe like a week or two in, I set up like a Kickstarter, maybe it was on Indiegogo and I was asking for money to like get the printers and, and do the prototyping. And like a Forbes journalist reached out to me and I just gave him the straight dope from the beginning. And I think only then when that Forbes piece came out, did my parents realize like, okay, he's really going for it. This is, this is kind of nuts. And, um, you know, ever since then, I've just been taking them on a ride, I think, but, uh, but they get it now. It's a part of culture now. No. Yeah. It, that makes perfect sense. It's pretty much part of like the, the next generation of gun culture. It's not much of a shock any longer since you, you guys been around. So, yeah, this actually leads into one of my like next points, because when it comes to like these type of like really, quote unquote, disruptive activities that actually like expand human freedom, invariably, some form of state interventions can like follow. That's just like the nature of the beast. In your time spearheading Defense Distributed, what have been like the most notable instances like that governments, whether it's the federal government or state government, have tried cracking down on your business? Um, I, I would just have to give you like a highlights or greatest hits, maybe. Yeah, take your time on that. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, in many ways, like the history of 3D printed guns is can still be told as the history of legal opposition to our company. And then the maneuvers we've made have largely defined how you can still access the files on the internet to this day and where you can access them. But the first real thing we did that, you know, like encountered official sanction was the Liberator pistol. This was the so-called first 3D printed gun. Um, that was May of 2013 when we put that on the internet. And it, it only stayed on the internet for a handful of days because it, it reached this like 
clarion level of attention where like everybody in the world was on notice that like, uh oh, now you can 3D print guns. So it like completely accomplished its like viral mimetic purpose. And then, you know, there, therefore there was this symbolic deficit in terms of power. And so the Obama national security staff and White House, everybody was like, well, I mean, we have to do something. Like everyone in the world is looking at us to do something about this. We can't just let it be a world where people can 3D print guns. <laughs> so they, uh, the decision was to tell the State Department to take us down and to demand the files come down. And then, I mean, that defined essentially the next 10 years of my life fighting the State Department and what looked like an enforcement action against me, which would have been like really rough. I mean, millions of dollars in fines and prison time and all this stuff. They like suspended it after about a year. And then I decided, well, I can just kind of, I can just go on with my life and do something else, or I can do the thing that they're not expecting and then kind of find a legal route in the courts around this and see if that's possible. And so I, I organized our company into like a for-profit direction and I raised enough money over the next couple of years uh, by starting our, our first hardware project, Ghost Gunner, which was like a CNC mill. I mean, we still sell it. It's in its third generation now. And everything Didi's really done in terms of making profit and, and doing litigation has come from that project. But that project was started so that I could fund litigation against Obama's State Department. And so by May of 2015, two years later, I was suing the State Department on a First Amendment and Second Amendment theory that there was no right for the State Department to suppress this speech. And if anything, since it was released on, on open source licenses and on the internet and public domain, it was almost a pure speech act and, and had to seriously be considered by the federal courts. And uh, this was a winning argument. And for many years, I was able to keep the feds at bay. And, and eventually in 2018, like almost on accident, I, I won and uh, got a settlement from the State Department, which then uh, produced like all the opposition that I'm dealing with uh, now. <laughs> so I, I can talk about that if you want. Go ahead. Feel free. Yeah. So like part two of 3D printed guns and the law is... Once this settlement happened with the State Department, it was such a blindsided kind of moment because uh, Trump was in office and even, even Trump didn't really want it to happen, but it just happened because of the mechanics of, of bureaucratic control, the permanent administrative state, you know, what you're really dealing with when you're dealing with these agencies is, you know, career bureaucrats who actually understand the mechanics of these things. And then the courts themselves are only set up really to, for maximum deference to these agency decisions. And so if, if two specialists are involved in a conflict of the administrative state, and one simply wants a settlement, almost no other power, legislative, executive, is, is in a position to understand what has happened and to correct it. And so I, I found myself actually like at another one of these strange moments in American political economy where even if I lost, it would be a way to win. It's hard to describe, but I, I accomplished a settlement with the Bureau of Political and Military Affairs and the State Department. And I realized no one else was even empowered to, to stop it. And so again, just like in 2013, when we released the files. I released the files on the internet again, and no one could stop it and figure out how to do it. So all these state governments this time jumped in and they're like, well, if the feds won't stop, it will stop it. Even though, you know, they have, they have no power to do this. They have to invent the power. And this is itself a good lesson. So a number of state governments just kind of invented uh, parents' patre arguments and nuisance arguments and just whatever they could grab at. And my little company here in Austin, Texas got sued in uh, federal court in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Washington, the state of Washington, most notably. And of course, I went on offense and sued New Jersey in the Western District of Texas, sued the State Department again. And then ever since then, there have been different versions of these lawsuits that we've traded back and forth to this day. Yeah, that's quite a lot of state attention you've gathered there. So 
were there any instances when the government like went after defense distributed that you were like legitimately scared that they would probably inflict a lot of damage on you? Well, I mean, every, every time you can't help, but you never really get used to it. Every time you see a complaint, especially a federal complaint, you're like, oh, crap, because uh, let's be honest, you know, no one can really afford these things. These are incredibly expensive. They, they consume all of your life energy and your creative effort, you know, to try to afford them. To date, so far, I've like barely been able to afford them. Um, I don't know when that will change, but so far, so good. So you're scared every time. Also, you see how the sausage is made. Like I've transitioned through a few different main federal governments at this point. Some things stay the same, but something's changed. Like uh, Brady, Everytown, Giffords, these groups that kind of pioneer gun control regulations in theory, they have to spend a few years workshopping and teaching the regulators what they want. And it's this kind of it's this action by way of how the cathedral actually works. You know, the, these professional gun controllers are the ones who like workshop and do the, the idea making. And then eventually their, their puppets work it into proposed regulations, which themselves get wormed into the, uh, the CFR and everything. So I've, I've had time to watch the plans of these gun controllers focus on, on 3D printed guns and really, you know, sink their way into how the ATF, the State Department and other agencies handle this stuff. So it's all scary. It's all slowly working, especially at the state level. DD is a and ghost gunner. Our other brand is we're a co-defendant in multiple lawsuits just in California and, and other states uh, where the gun controllers also want to accomplish, you know, state level regulatory changes. And then maybe through an accumulation of those changes, you know, convince a federal judge that the pendulum is swinging their way. So it's it's a slow death, but at the same time, we we have something more powerful on our side, which is, you know, it doesn't take us years to come up with new ways of doing things. So, you know, like right now, the biggest market for DIY guns is, is what it's called 80% receivers. That seems to be the most popular way that people make guns privately without serial numbers, not necessarily using 3D printers. And so the gun controllers, they plan to ban these 80% receivers, but it, it's like in slow motion. It took them five years to get it done, maybe six, you know, and in the meantime, okay, what can you do? Well, you can invent something else like a 0% receiver. And um, so we, we just play this cat and mouse game. And so, yes, you're always afraid, but that fear is an indication usually that you're you're still in the driver's seat. Big time. Yeah, let's shift gears a bit because we were, we're talking a lot about like the threats from my state and like anti-gun forces and all of that. So are there any politicians, state governments or organizations that are have been friendly towards your work and have stepped up to the plate to defend you? Yeah, you know, I should be careful here because Didi and, and especially myself, I'm, you know, we're still considered pretty toxic in this space, but I don't think uh, pro-gun groups would blush at being mentioned here. Over the years, our, our most consistent supporter has been the Second Amendment Foundation, who have been co-plaintiffs with us in a number of our lawsuits, at least three or four. Uh, that's been really important because they've shouldered a lot of the, of the debt too, like um, up to like 25% of the cost in some of these lawsuits. It's really important. And they importantly saw from the beginning, they saw the importance of 3D years before other groups did, you know, years before CalGuns, FPC, and, you know, NRA, I thought would never come around, but even NRA and NSSF seem to be coming around. But the other credit I should share then is to FPC, who in 2018, once we got hit again, started things like codesfreespeech.com and, and really tried to popularize a different type of internet ground game of spreading the files around. We had... Never had that kind of help and support before. From 2013, I would say to 2018, it it was kind of strange. It was like the revolution like didn't take hold. There were there were only 
just pockets of people doing 3D gun work online, it was still considered kind of ridiculous. And something about the way we got hit in 2018 and just the way it became a culture issue there very briefly in the summer of 2018 seemed to inspire a, a newer group of kids, younger people to actually take up the work. And then, you know, there was this huge explosion of work. And I would, I would say that FPC has a lot of the credit for that in addition to, to what we were doing in 18. So ideologically, would you say that the 3D printable firearm community tends to be more like in the libertarian to crypto anarchist spectrum? Would that be accurate? Uh, you know, in the beginning, I think more crypto anarchists, if accidentally, for no other reason. But now I would say just thoroughly libertarian and not necessarily very good at being libertarian. And I'm not complaining, but I've definitely seen you know, the tenets of the culture of 3D guns are strong, but they're not defined insofar as they're related to open source software or free software. There don't seem to be strong ideas about a free software culture, open source software culture in the 3D gun space. There, there's more just this idea that, okay, you, you should share the stuff, you shouldn't charge for it. You know, licenses and the old school kind of crypto anarchic tools and purity these don't really filter up to the top of, of the discussions that I've seen. But I don't know. I, I don't want to be like a, a militant about it. These are, these are young guys. These are guys who are just entering college, sometimes just getting out of college. There's some loss of fidelity of the ideas from the 90s, but that's to some degree. I mean, you have to expect it. It's not like I read you know, Timothy May every day to refresh myself. I see. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think like in general, like from what I've seen in this overall space, there's a kind of like a more of like a broader like folk libertarianism, if you will, that it's not like fully like doctrinaire, but there's like an instinct behind it and people like to experiment with this kind of stuff. But it's all good because I think that a world without DD uh, would just be much more like politically bland and you wouldn't see even like the Second Amendment movement, the more mainstream Second Amendment movement moving in like a positive direction. Yeah, you know, I, I should say one more positive thing, which is like, yeah, like actually what's good about this space is that like it it is by flavor libertarian and it is quite hostile to any attempts at regulating guns and it's boastful and it's contemptuous and it's like, it's full of vitality and youth. And like, these are more important than probably any type of like pure ideological attacks. Yes. Yes. That makes perfect sense. Now, I think that one thing the past decade has shown us is that there's like a new form of attack vectors against a lot of this kind of activity in the broader like right-wing space, dissident right, libertarian space, whatever you want to call it, how you've seen like big tech and the corporate sector start to basically carry out the managerial state's agenda, albeit like in a privatized form. Has big tech pulled off any shenanigans against DD in the last few years that you can think of? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can think of quite a few. What's funny is like now, I'll mention them now, they were startling and shocking to me at the time. And of course, we've had time through COVID to get used to these techniques that I'll mention. But some of the first things completely censored on Facebook were DefCAD links. You know, it was something like uh, the Daily Stormer was like one of the very first URLs to, to get like real-time banned across the socials. You know, like in real, like you can't even post links to it. And then I would say like right on the heels of that in 2018, they tested that technology out on our website, DefCAD. Uh, when very briefly you could you could share the the 3D gun files on the internet again. So we, we saw all of our links banned in real time. A guy came up to me at SHOT Show this year and he said, you know, he works at Facebook. And he was like, look, I was the guy that they told to black hole 
Defense Distributed, Ghost Gunner, DefCAD. And that, that means, you know, Facebook has a tool called Black Hole where like you, know, you can't even uh, you can't even mention certain things, right? It, it goes nowhere, you know, zero point stuff. And it's like, wow, you know, we encountered that just a handful of years before the broader public was acclimated to such measures through you know, COVID misinformation, policing and stuff like that. But, but now we're all, I think, pretty well aware. Uh, at least many more of us are well aware that, that this is in, you know, in place and, and largely deployed across most of the socials. It's just, as is often the case with 3D guns, you get there sooner than other people. So um, I've been kicked off, you name it, Shopify, DigitalOcean, MailChimp. I mean, anything that is a platform and has any like um, social cachet and investment from popular Silicon Valley VCs. I mean, I have been thrown off, censored. Yeah, I mean, you name it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense in this era because big tech basically just goes after anyone that tries to shake things up a bit. And it's actually like a sign that you're being effective if they're trying to deplatform, debank you or whatever on person you. So yeah. Yeah. I, I could add to that. I think it goes without saying, but it's like at least having all this time being prepared to be deplatformed, it was like we were more ready than let's say the president was when he got banned on Twitter at the end of his presidency. You know, we've had time to build our own infrastructure. And I would argue that's probably the most important thing you can do if you're going to actually attempt some kind of libertarian project. You have to have as much control as possible over your own plumbing. Makes perfect sense, if you ask me. Yeah, one thing I really enjoy about DD is the fact that despite all the obstacles, like the powers that be, like throw it, you guys just keep trucking on. What plans do you have for the future? You know, some of the reason we're able to keep going is because we don't always share what the plans are for the future. But another aspect of that is because every time we get stopped, we die. Like I, people assume that we're gone and like, oh, yeah, okay, well, they're done. So you just, I don't know, I try not to play into it either way. I mean, I, you try not to give them the big technicolor death that the media asks for. You just try to, to some large degree, everything that happens, you know, in the popular press and on the internet is fake, is a simulation, doesn't reflect reality. So there's actually been very few times that work has ever even paused at Defense Distributed, even though you can like paint this really, I don't know, um, dramatic story about like the ups and downs of the company and like, oh my God, they were almost stopped or they were stopped. And it's like, well, I mean, not, that never really happened. Like even when a judge like in Washington state is like, you shall not, you know, no one will share the files. It's like, we recognize, okay, that's just a judge like putting words on a piece of paper. Like it, it actually has no hold on reality at all. So to some degree, you just have to learn to live in like the kind of parallel structures of you're, you're never going to be recognized in the state narrative in the way that you want. And the state narrative for the last, let's say, like four years is, has basically kind of ignored the fact that like we, we win. But that's probably good because you can do like a lot of good work uh, while they're ignoring you. So I would just say you're in trouble when both narratives line up and the, the state accepts your frame and you accept your frame and then you win and then you're in trouble and you might actually lose. <laughs> but as long as you're, as long as you're just fighting, uh, you're not dead. And if you're dead, uh, you probably don't know it. I think like the big takeaway here is that you just have to keep pushing on because the in this time of like just like chaos and uncertainty, it just pays to be bold and roll with the punches because submitting is just not an option. Look, I think boldness pays, but I mean, if I could say anything, it's some of these things you, you just learn. It's like a, a poetry. You just kind of feel it. It's like a silent feeling. But 
you should never be too loud about winning, mm. but also you can be completely quiet. It, it's a strange thing. It's like the worst day of my life probably was when Trump like tweeted about our legal victory. And then I just put like Trump tweets will like end your life. You know, like I'd never been <laughs> so inundated with media and scrutiny. And it was like, wow, I could really feel like for a day, just for a day, like the whole world was trying to, to fuck with us. And, and that was really overwhelming and destructive. And so it's like, okay, I mean, you want to contribute software, you know, you want to write code, you want to build things, you want to be Lindy, you want to stick around, but you probably never want the eye of Sauron on you at any particular moment. Yeah, there's definitely a balance you have to strike there where you can't always try to generate as much attention as possible and try to chase like vanity metrics on social media because it could be used against you. But at the same time, you have to be willing to take risk. It's like any worthwhile endeavor. But I believe that you've, you guys have done an excellent job in all those respects. And you guys have a very much like a, a bright future. So before we leave, where can my listeners stay up to date with your latest work and any news on DD's end? That's well, kind of you, first of all. We're not heavily on social media, but you know you can check out the Ghost Guns Twitter, and you can check out our mailing list, ghostgunner.net. We're also at DefCAD. You can check out defcad.com, the DefCAD newsletter. And for those people who actually want to directly support the litigation, uh, you can join DefCAD or you can join our, our fraternity called Legio. And, and we have a number of updates there about our litigation. Uh, where at the moment, for example, we're, we're protecting two anonymous creators at DefCAD who are, every town for gun safety is trying to unmask them because they want to, you know, scare people in the space into not parroting their trademarks and things like that. I, it's actually an important IP case in its own right. So just a little window into uh, the things that you support and, and get insight into if you, if you join our stuff. Yeah, thank you so much, Cody. Again, it was a pleasure having you on the show. And I think my audience will absolutely enjoy this conversation. The pleasure is mine. I'd be happy to return anytime. Uh, you've been a great friend to our company over the years, Jose. So thank you. All right. To my wonderful audience, thank you for your generous attention. And with that, El Nino has spoken.